This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. A heads up about this episode, we are talking about Andrew Tate, and we will play some tape of him. Plus, there's a little swearing. You might want to take care who listens. Okay, here's the show. I would like to say a massive thank you to all the supporters we have around the world, regardless of what the mainstream media keeps saying and the lies they try and perform. When Andrew Tate was indicted in Romania in June, no one who'd been watching this drama play out was particularly surprised. Tate and his brother Tristan were taken into custody in December of last year on charges of human trafficking, forming an organized crime group, and rape. Lisa Miller saw the indictment coming. When I was reporting the story, uh, we were in contact with the prosecutors who reiterated those charges. And so the fact that he is now charged was not at all surprising to me. It was exactly what we expected. Lisa wrote about Tate and his online influence for New York Magazine. And even though Lisa is a masterful journalist, truly, she is one of my favorites, she was new to the world of Andrew Tate when she started reporting on him. She's a middle-aged mom of a daughter, not the target Tate audience, and so she immersed herself in his universe. I would say that I was watching Tate full-time for six weeks. Wow. Um, And I, you know, when I say full-time, I mean full-time, like all day, every day. And then then watching, not just consuming Tate, TikToks, Tate, YouTubes, Tate, podcasts, but also people talking about Tate, because Tate had so many reverberations within the world of man, bro, podcasts. You can try to describe Andrew Tate, but there's no one good phrase. He's not just a podcaster or a YouTuber or a former kickboxer or a misogynist or someone indicted for truly heinous crimes. He's something else, some creature of the internet, a chimera that's equal parts hate, self-empowerment, and tremendous online savvy. Are there like particular moments or images or even outfits that stick with you? One of the things that super interested me was that his image changed. And there was a moment last spring where he sort of settled on his look, which was tight black t-shirt, white blazer, shaved head, aviator sunglasses, and, and had this very, and like a little bit of facial hair and had this very like arresting assault rifle kind of delivery that he speaks in an accent that's very distinctive because he's he was born in America and then moved to the UK when he was 11. And he talks in this very like bullying, hectoring, aggressive, bellicose way. But that is only from a certain, that sort of started last April or March. And before that, when he was a kickboxer, when he was younger, he had a much 
sort of prettier, softer look to him. Um, he had hair, he was clean shaven, his tattoo was different. Like, and so watching his evolution was really interesting to me because he sort of arrived at this like hyper male, hyper aggro look, but he didn't come at that full formed. So today on the show, Lisa unravels the mystery of Andrew Tate and how his mindset infected a generation of teenage boys. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I am so excited Andrew about this Tate fight. has been training with the Majiro Glass. Tate's story more or less starts with kickboxing in the 2010s. He was living in the UK, fighting under the name King Cobra. But what Tate wanted desperately was to be rich. Kickboxing wasn't going to do it. So he capitalized on the one, quote-unquote, asset he had, his girlfriends. And I found this little webcam thing and I was like mm, this might be some money so I text all my girlfriends I think it was five of them text all five said you're all coming here to live with me and work with me so I put them all around the same table and I was like look we're gonna start a webcam business you're gonna stay you're gonna live in London I'm gonna look after you and we're gonna get rich rich we're gonna be a from there his business took off he said that he had 75 women working for him doing webcam in four different locations in the UK and they were charging four dollars a minute and what they did was that the women told sob stories to their clients. So sob stories are like, you know, my grandmother's dying or my dog needs to go to the vet or I can't finish paying for college. And the, and the clients would just give them money, would just give them money. And then Tate, who was sort of like an online pimp, would take a cut of that money. He was also sleeping with the women or some of the women. So it was like this online pimp situation. And then something about that, that business model, like hit a chord with him. That's when he moved to Romania. And he started this thing called Hustlers University, which was sort of like a, a pyramid marketing scheme. 
he entices young men and boys to join Hustlers University. They pay $50 a month. They enter this world in which they can learn to do copywriting and skills. Uh, but the main thing they learn how to do is to cut, shred, and repost content of Andrew Tate. Oh, wow. So this whole army is working for him. So they're whole, all working for him. And then he gets real smart and he, I mean, I say smart advisedly, and he starts going on podcasts and sort of longer form interview formats so that his army can has more content to shred and repost. And that is how he developed this viral moment was that suddenly he had hundreds of thousands of men and boys who were consuming his content and reposting it almost always on TikTok because that is where they lived. Suddenly, if you are between the ages of 12 and 20 and you spoke English, Andrew Tate was dominating your For You page on TikTok. It was the only thing you saw. He seemed to have this moment where he somehow hooked into the kind of alt-right media ecosystem and that power charged his rise. How did that happen? Well, he knew Alex Jones, and it was never clear to me exactly how he knew Alex Jones. In his interviews, alludes to all of these bro alt-right characters. He references Elon Musk. He references Joe Rogan. He also references superheroes, Steven Seagal, Batman, Michael Corleone. So he's very consciously like inserting Logan Paul, the Paul brothers. He's inserting himself into the world of people who make memes that are adjacent to him and connecting himself to them so that when you're a boy and you're searching on any of those things, you also come up against Tate. He's just sort of connecting the dots between himself and all of these people in conversation, and by doing so, creating virality. Perhaps it's too simplistically Freudian to blame Tate's worldview on his upbringing, but it's hard not to see it influencing who he became. Tate's mother is English and white. His father was American and Black. His father was also an Air Force linguist and international chess master. He was away from home a lot. He drank. Tate idolized him. And there are two incidents that really struck me in the reporting of the story. One is the father was always on the road playing chess, and he comes home to Indiana, where Tate and his brother Tristan were raised. And he's been on the road for a long time. And he greets the family. And within minutes, he turns around and leaves the house and says to Tate, I'm paraphrasing, but something very like, your mother's being a bitch and I'm out. And Tate was five or six at the time. And he tells the story laughing, but you feel, or I felt like, damn, that's a hard life. And then there's this other story along the same lines, but in my opinion, worse, um, which is that at a certain point, the mother, whose name was Eileen, 
takes her, the two boys, and there's also a younger sister, back to the UK where she has family and she can avail herself of social services. And the father is coming to visit and the mother takes the boys for a haircut before the father's visit. And she, the mother, Eileen, is not happy with the haircut. She's sort of complaining about it to Tate and Tate hears her complaining. So when the father walks in the house, he says, oh, you got the boys a haircut. And Tate, who's young, 11-ish, 12, echoes his mother and says, yeah, it's not such a good haircut or something like that. And the father blows up and he says to the mother, you're teaching my boys to be bitches. You're teaching them to talk about haircuts. And he takes Tate to the barber and says to the barber, shave his head. And he does. And again, like Tate tells the story in a long podcast and you see this look across his face, which is like so brief, but like kind of disbelief that that had happened to his younger self. But then he kind of, in that same instance, sort of shrugs it off and keeps going. And what he goes on to say is that he used to care about how his hair looked and he would fuss with his hair. And then in honor of his father, he decided he would just continue to shave his head. So he continues to honor his father and hold him up as an example of maleness, of a person who made his own path and made his own destiny and carved his own way and sort of suppresses or contains or compartmentalizes what was obviously an extremely challenging childhood. You have talked about how these boys were suddenly finding Tate everywhere, right? Clips and clips all over their TikTok algorithm. Who, who are these kids? They're everybody. I mean, I think it's really tempting to think that Tate fans are not our boys. And I say that in air quotes. They're not, you know, nice boys from well-educated parents who have good values and are not, you know, red state gun-toting boys. But that is 100% not true. And I will preface the rest of this conversation by saying that after my story ran, the number of emails I got from my friends who have teenage boys who are like, I had no, so then I asked my son, have you ever heard of Andrew Tate? And he was like, of course, I watch him all the time. Yes, I know Andrew Tate, like parents who have teenage boys, colleagues at work who have cousins or nieces or nephews who are teenage boys, people whose partners have younger siblings, like the the incoming was incredible. Yes, it's everybody's boys. It's you can't contain you you couldn't contain this phenomenon. But where are they seeing him? Because he was banned from Facebook and YouTube and TikTok. So like how did that happen? The explosion occurred before he was banned. The explosion occurred initially in March of eight or April of last year. And then by June, it was so big that it was uncontainable. And then the other thing that happened at like early summer last year was that Tate was everybody everywhere. 
and the Tate opponents and critics and people who were shocked by Tate were everywhere and they only made Tate bigger. And then, you know, people who were making fun of Tate, you know, piggybacked on and that only made Tate bigger. So he wasn't like if your mom says you can't date this person, of course you're going to. Right. Yes, it's exactly like that. And there were a lot of teachers and teachers groups and feminist groups and women's rights groups who rightly were calling Tate out for being misogynist, but their panic and shock and disapprobation just made Tate bigger. I mean, in August of last year, Andrew Tate was more Googled than Kim Kardashian, Donald Trump, and the Queen of England combined. So he was you couldn't contain the phenomenon. One of the things that is so interesting about Tate was that he was that huge and the parents didn't know about him. Because he's not showing up on their algorithms? It's not. If you're over 30, even 28, you're not seeing Tate. Hmm. You're only seeing Tate if you're, you know, 12 to 22, 24, unless you're a martial arts fan or a chess fan or a Bugatti fan, unless you're specifically in the worlds that he's in. Um, and then, and then, yes, he was banned from all the platforms, but you can't really weed TikTok because Tate himself didn't have that many followers. He had all of these stands who had all these stan accounts and they were reposting all of his content. And, you know, the, the stan accounts were... And, and you can weed an account that has Tate in the name, but if it doesn't have Tate in the name, it's like, it's just, it proliferates to the point where it's impossible to actually take it out by the roots. When we come back, yeah, kids think Tate's ridiculous, but also they're listening. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance— Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What about his message was sticking with these kids? All these different kinds of kids. I think it's twofold. And for the kids in Park Slope, Brooklyn, and the kids in Brooklyn and the Upper West Side, the kids in the suburbs of New York City, a lot of the kids who were the kids that I was speaking to and that I was focusing on, TikTok was the entry. And first they responded to his look, which was so exaggerated, so caricature and, and hyperbolic. And then they thought he was hilarious. They thought he hmm. was a cartoon. He was saying all the stuff that you're not supposed to say in liberal blue circles. He was like calling out Democrats. Man. Obama's a loser. Obama's absolutely a loser. His wife told him what to do. He's a loser. His wife's still in charge of him, talking about segregation. He's calling out sushi. There's no power in sushi. Now, I say this to people, and they go, what's your problem with sushi? I just told you, you little bitch. There's no power inside. You're eating food for power. There's no power in sushi. Holy he was you. calling out Lil Nas X. The Piers Morgan interview is currently going massive, and in the Piers Morgan interview, I said, people like Lil Nas X are more detrimental to the world than me because he was literally twerking on the devil. And I don't know why people are trying to pretend that I'm the most difficult and dangerous man in the world for some reason when people like him are propagating that. Anything that uh, was precious to sort of left elites, he just like eviscerated. And teenage boys just love that. They just thought that was hilarious. So that's sort of the entry point. But then underneath that, if you look at Tate in long form and not on TikTok, you see that what he's offering is a kind of self-help that's very basic about, you know, go to the gym, work out, take responsibility for yourself and, you know, step up and be a man. And I think that that is the center of the whole thing, that it's okay to want to be a man in a traditional sense, provider, protector, which means in Tate's terms to make money, have cars, have diamond watches, smoke cigars, have girlfriends, and to take steps to attain those things. And that is a message that is not popular or approved. And there are elements of it that are very traditional. And I think Boys, especially straight boys, were like, oh, thank God. Thank God somebody is there who is telling me it's okay to want to be hot and have a fast car and a pretty girlfriend. I think it's that simple. The boys could take the -the over-the-top stuff and wink and nudge it away. But they also heard the messages. Video clips with titles like, why men can cheat but women can't, and women must cook, clean, and obey. He said things like, Women are property. The intimate parts of women's bodies belong to their men. They can't drive. They are bad leaders. They are untrustworthy. I mean, that's a start. Yes, the boys try to or tried to discount the misogyny by saying it was cartoonish, it was play, it was a joke, it wasn't really serious. And what was good about Tate was this message of, you know, step up and be a man, work out, make money, be in charge of yourself, don't whine, be disciplined, 
um, struggle, struggle as part of life. I mean, I think all of that was very appealing to them. And he's, you know, hotter than Jordan Peterson and hotter than Ben Shapiro and sort of more aspirational. I think that that was the mind trick that they were playing on themselves. If I can just compartmentalize all this misogyny and follow Tate, his steps to being a man, and that will be okay. Maybe I think about this a lot because I am the mother of a boy, albeit a very, very young boy, but this through line in your story that boys are looking for models of masculinity, it like it's so interesting that they are both thinking about Tate and contrapoints, which is like the opposite of Tate. Like they're just searching and whatever comes up is going to be the thing they fixate on. I think kids, especially teenagers, smell hypocrisy. And I think that our messages around boys are very, very mixed. Boys and girls, honestly. And the kids know it. And they see their parents struggling with gender roles in their own marriages. They see Donald Trump and they they see their teachers telling them about what's approved language and what's not approved language and how they should and shouldn't act with each other. And yet the teachers who are under various kinds of pressures don't really want to engage with what the kids are really thinking and feeling and struggling with. And so there's this sense that the kids know that the grownups don't really want to hear what they're thinking because it's troubling. So the kids go underground or online. One of the teachers I spoke to called the kids in his class, like what he sees in the kids in his class, the new Victorianism. And he talks about how they're all wearing clothes that don't boys and girls and trans kids, everybody is wearing clothes that deny gender display and they share their most secret wishes and thoughts to a small group of people on a fake Instagram account. And when the teachers, you know, they sort of are playing ball with gender language expectations in class, but in private, They're saying all the sexist, misogynist, traditional gender stuff that people have always said, and maybe even worse, because it's disallowed in public. And this one teacher who who I'm referring to is a sort of advocate for boys and also is in sort of lefty men's group circles, talks about how like the suppression of boys' impulses toward masculinity is harming them. And ContraPoints has and doesn't have patience with that. She's like, you know, let's consider the possibility that feminists telling men, especially men who haven't ascended high on any kind of status ladder, feminists calling men toxic reflexively isn't helping. And then she says, but the people who have to fix this are the men themselves. I mean, I wonder, like, do you, you talked about the broad appeal of Tate, but here you're zeroing in on something that I I feel like is a 
feature that might be particular to sort of professional class blue state communities. Do you think that's right or is it is or am I not is is it broader? I think yes and no. I think definitely in, you know, blue bubbles that is the that is the cultural overlay that the boys are responding to. But I talked to a teacher who teaches in a public school in Queens and his students are mostly Asian and Latino and they too are expressing to him a frustration with not being able to quote unquote be themselves that when they when boys wrestle with each other in the hallway or they say certain things to each other or call each other certain names they get called out in school for doing that and they say to him what we can't be ourselves in school and he said, and we don't have the time or the bandwidth or the space to pause that conversation, press stop on it and unpack it in the way that it needs to be unpacked because we have to like test the kids for make sure they're learning math and history, right? And even the red state kids I spoke to, when you ask them point blank about the misogyny, they understand that that's not an okay way to talk about women. But they are more likely to uphold, preserve, and protect as an ideal, a a male ideal that they want to renovate, revive, protect, like preserve. Where do the girls fit in all of this? The girls I spoke to were so wonderful. I just want to proceed by saying that. Like they were so thoughtful. They had really thought about this. And they hate Tate. They are the girlfriends of people who love Tate, the sisters of people who love Tate, the cousins. Like they are living in a world where Tate was, you know, everywhere. And so they were well aware. Some of the girls just like unfriended every boy they knew in school who was following Tate. They would go online and they would say like, see on Instagram who follows Tate. And then they would just unfriend those people. But others of them really, when when asked, like, do you think it's hard to be a straight boy now? Some of them really took that question seriously. And they were like, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe it's hard for a kid to sit in a, you know, seminar or a community conversation about toxic masculinity. And they may think, you know, they're telling me it's not my turn. They're telling me to be quiet. They're telling me, you know, but I, I'm an adolescent boy. I've never even had a turn. Hmm. I mean, one of the girls was so sweet. You know, she was like, I get why they might think that. I just went through puberty. Puberty is hard and I've never had a turn. And now they're telling me to be quiet and sit down. But on the other hand, she said, I'm not that sympathetic. There are a lot of good men out there who you can model yourself after. Yeah. Like, it seems like following Tate and laughing about Tate and making secret jokes about how Tate is funny and making secret jokes about, like, women in the kitchen and how the wage gap is, like, cool. That is not where the girls want this to go. Yeah, they were very thoughtful about it. 
What do you think the indictment in Romania does to his popularity? Like, does it matter? When the story published, which was in the winter of this year, Tate's popularity was already, he was already in, in jail and his popularity was already dimming in its, you know, broad scope. He wasn't everywhere on everybody's For You pages anymore. The boys at school who used to say like free Tate as a kind of greeting or like <laughs> departure, goodbye kind of thing, um, weren't saying that anymore. People were starting to follow different people. It just wasn't quite so present by the winter. But I do think that the hardcore stands have doubled down. Tate has a presence in alternative um, social media platforms. Uh, and those people are just much more hardcore. Um, do I think that it's possible that some of those people can be radicalized? Yes, I think it is. Like they are much closer, the hardcore stands are much closer to sort of what we think about as incels or red pill people than the broader phenomenon. And I think those people are still there and still with Tate. And I think that his, these charges and his upcoming trial will only solidify their commitment to him. But for the majority of his adolescent audience, maybe Tate will be a phase, a thing they look back on in a few years and cringe. I also think kids are flexible and resilient. And a lot of the kids I spoke to are really smart. And they see their own hypocrisies and they see their own yearnings and they see their life stages pretty clearly. And so even though they try to do this brain thing where like, yeah, misogyny bad, but Andrew Tate funny and good. Like they're also able to say, I don't want to be that kind of guy. I have other things to do. I want to be this kind of guy. And they're able to talk about that too. And a lot of the boys I spoke to were like warm and funny and insightful in touch with themselves and like used really good vocabulary words. And I really enjoyed speaking with them. And so I guess I would also say that when you're a teenager, you do stupid and dangerous things, but it doesn't mean you turn out to be a horrible person. And we all have done those stupid and dangerous things as teenagers, ill-advised things, things that our parents really would not have liked if they had known that we were doing them which is not to let anybody off the hook because I really do think like there is a pathway to radicalization there that is real and dangerous. But I also think like it's not universal. It's not inevitable. It's not irreversible. And those things are also true. Could Andrew Tate have existed without the internet? No, no way. No way. I mean, his genius was for the virality. That was what made him so, such a phenomenon, was the way he exploded almost overnight within this very huge group of people, but not within anybody else. Like, that, that is a purely internet phenomenon. And he understood what he was doing. And 
he cultivated that and promoted it in this very strategically, both by curating his look and by planting these like extremely misogynistic viral quotes in his interviews. And like, it was all very conscious. Lisa Miller, thank you so much for sharing all of this with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on the show. Lisa Miller is a staff writer for New York Magazine. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Mia Armstrong-Lopez. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. And we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you like what we are doing here, the best way to support us is to join Slate Plus. It's Slate's membership program. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up, and you'll get all your Slate podcasts like this one ad-free. All right, we'll be back next week with more episodes. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.